I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, so um, this morning we're going to start, ladies, with a halacha of Lashon Harav, Shmiras Halashon. For those of you who aren't familiar, the Torah has 31 prohibitions and positive commandments relating to our speech. So we're just going to go through this book called Guard Your Tongue, which is basically based on the uh, Chafetz Chaim, a famous rabbi who really brought the, this, these laws into the forefront um, in the early, uh, you know, in, in the 1900s. He lived up until, I think, 1932, something like that. And he promoted uh, people's becoming more knowledgeable about what we're allowed to say and what we're not allowed to say in everyday speech. So just quickly, we're going to just spend a second or a minute on this. So the first one says, Lo telech rachel ba'amecha. You should not go about as a talebearer among your people. And this is from Vayikra. Uh, this is the prohibition dealing specifically with Lashon Hara, which is true derogatory information, and Rechilus. Rechilus is when you hear something about someone and you tell them what you heard about them. Okay? So we've got two ideas here, Lashon Hara, which is true derogatory information, and Rechilus. Okay, Lashon Hara is the term for derogatory or damaging statement. Rechilus is the term used for report that someone has spoken or acted against the listener. Both are prohibited even when true. The word Rechilus comes from the word Rochel, which is a peddler. And the Chafetz Haim explains that the same way a peddler will go from house to house selling his wares, so to a habitual gossip goes from person to person, picking up and leaving behind tidbits of derogatory information about others. May this learning that we've done be a merit for those who need a Rafua Shalema, Rifka Gitto Bas Yehudas, Ilanit Yael Bas Sipora Rifka, and others. You can say the names quietly to yourself in the merit of our learning this. May they have a Rafua Shalema. Okay, so we are going to be speaking about Sneas this morning, Sneas, Sneut in Hebrew, but in firmer circles, they call it Sneas. When I first heard the word, I thought somebody had sneezed, and I wanted to say, God bless you. But um, this is an interesting topic, and we have a mixed group of people on this class. So, you know, we have FFEs, you know, from, from birthies, those who grew up with these laws and know them from the time they were whatever age that their mother started to tell them they have to dress sneas. And of course, then there are those who really didn't know anything about this topic. That's myself included. And, you know, there's the BTs out there. And of course, the OTJs, those of you who are on the journey, right? NFY, not quite from yet, but you're getting there. So I just want to tell you interesting ideas about this. So my husband, when he saw that I was teaching this, he said, you know, you should just let them know it's interesting. He works with converts and he finds that there are some female converts who are really, really excited about the laws of tzniyas for women, meaning, you know, that they're going to have to dress more modestly. And he said, and it's interesting that usually the women who embrace this are the women who were a little bit more into strutting their stuff and did not really, you know, um, you know, were very pressured by making themselves look good for others. And they find, he says, that this is a real relief for a lot of these types of women because they can let this part of them go and they don't have to feel that kind of pressure anymore. Interestingly, he said, the women who already had a natural sense of modesty, the women who, you know, maybe wore looser clothing and higher necklines and were less show-offy about their bodies, they're the ones who actually find the laws harder because they feel like, I'm already modest. Why do I have to lift my shirt up even higher? Why do I have to, you know, take off my pants and wear a skirt? 
So it's just interesting that this is sort of a pattern that he's found, which uh, I'm sure has deep psychological significance, but we're not gonna go there. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about my own experience with SNES. So as a kid growing up in St. Catharines in a traditional Jewish home, I had no idea that Judaism had anything to say about how I was supposed to dress. And the first time that I encountered it was actually probably in Meisharim on a summer camp trip. We were all dressed very inappropriately to go through Meisharim, you know, probably in short shorts and tank tops. And maybe they'd given us a little thing to put over us as we were walking through. And as we're walking through, I remember there was this huge sign that was, you know, going across the street from one side to the other. And I looked up and it said, um, Jewish woman, Jewish women, the Torah obligates you to dress modestly. Now, I, I mean, I, I had no clue, really. I, I really didn't know that, uh, you know, there was rules about dress. Now, the only place where I really learned about modest dress, you know, not that my mother let me wear anything, of course, let's not, you know, get out of hand here. But my best friend next door's name was Linda McGarvey. She was a devout Baptist. And she had the laws of modesty. Didn't little did I know. Her dresses were always below her knee. And I like to say, and mine were always up to my pippic, you know? I mean mine were like, you know, between my knee and my thigh somewhere. And the funny thing is, is when I thought about it, you know, later on, I realized that I always wanted to wear her dresses and she, of course, was pining to wear mine. Now, you know, even when it came to makeup, Linda and her sisters, there were four sisters, they would, um, you know, take their makeup with them to school and put it on in the uh, bathroom because, of course, they weren't allowed to wear makeup either. And I'm sure there were other things in terms of modesty that were taken from our Torah or our sensibilities about modesty that, again, to me, I had no clue about. And here's this Baptist girl who would love to have made me into a Baptist, believe me, uh, already very uh, aware of the fact that what, how you dress and what you wear sends messages. Okay, that's just my own personal uh, little something that I wanted to share with you. Okay, so um, in Dina Schoonmaker's words, this is a topic that we approach with trepidation because people have a lot of different kinds of relationships with, again, depending on how you grew up, with this concept called sni'ut or what we'll translate as modesty. But we're going to find out that, you know, even that word does not really encapsulate what this is all about. Okay, um, so modesty or tsni'ut is not just about rules of dress. We have to have a much wider connection to this mida, and it is a mida, it's a character trait. Okay, just like all the other character traits that we've been working on, right? Anger, happiness, um, jealousy. This too is a character trait that a person needs to examine within themselves, see where they are holding in terms of their own standards of how they behave and, you know, work on it, try to get better at it. Okay, so we wanna have a healthy and inspired approach to Sneut. And there are a lot of misconceptions and myths, hence the title of this class that surround this topic. The first one, of course, misconception is that sneot only deals with women, right? That it's only about women, women and their dress and how long their skirt is and where their sleeve ends, how high their neck is, whether they're covering their hair or not, etc. This is all about women. So this is misconception number one that we want to get rid of. Sneot is a huge topic, and I'm going to give you an example of how we know this, okay? So there's only two places in all of Tanakh that use this word sni'ut or sne'ah, okay? The first one is actually in Mishlei, written by Shlomo HaMelech, chapter 11, verse 2. 
where it says that those who are private achieve wisdom. And the word that's used is the etsnuim hochma, that the tsniut have wisdom. Okay? And Rashi there says, the commentator, our famous commentator says, with modesty comes wisdom. And the word tsena, um, Rabbi Moshe Meiserman in his book, Jewish Women and Jewish Law, which is an incredible book on the whole concept of Jewish women and Sni'ut, written many years ago, but to me, it's my favorite on the topic. Um, he translates the word Sena, the root of Sni'ut, as private. But those who are private as, uh, will achieve wisdom. Okay, now obviously, this is talking about men and women. It's genderless. The second place where we have the source for Sni'ut in the Torah is in Micha, in the Tanakh, Micha, Tre Asar. He was one of the prophets. And this is really a source that's quoted a lot in chapter 6, Pasuk 8. Ma Hashem Doresh Mincha. What does Hashem ask of you? Ki'im asot mishpat, that you should do justice. The Ahavat Chesed, you should love to do kindness. And you should walk modestly with your God. Okay, so the Gemara in Makos talks about this concept that originally the Jewish people were given 613 mitzvot. Of course, we all know that we have 613 mitzvahs, and these were given to us by Moshe Rabbeinu. But in the Gemara, it explains that there was a process that went on throughout the ages where these mitzvot were condensed because it's very hard to walk around with 613 mitzvot in your head. So the first one to condense them was David HaMelech. David HaMelech took these 613 mitzvot and he condensed them into 11 mitzvot that include all of them, okay? After him came Yeshiyahu, and he condensed those into six. And then came Micha, who I just quoted, who says, what does God want from you? What is the whole Torah about? To do justice, right? To do kindness and to walk to walk modestly with your God. Now, actually, there's one more prophet who came after Micha, who condensed the entire Torah into one principle, and that was Tzadi Be'emunaso Yihiyah, which basically means that it's all about emuna, that the bottom line of everything is belief, trust. I just read something last night in a, in a, in a Tehillim. I was looking at the commentator commentaries, I think it was to Hillam 78, but I, I, I really, uh, I had never heard this idea, but basically the idea, I think it was from Rabbi Shimshon Rafal Hirsch, he was saying that our brains are given to us to use as tools to be able to be good servants of God, right? We learn Torah, we ask what, what, what how do we do this mitzvah, how do we understand this mitzvah more deeply, Right, The same way, this is what our brains are created for. The same way our hands were created to be able to give tzedakah, to you know, help other people. Our legs were created for us to run to do a mitzvah. Our brains were created for us to understand the, the, the mitzvah. But he said, but Rabbi Jimshim Raphael Hirsch says, our brains were not created for us to be able to understand God's ways. That is not one of the things that our brains can fathom. It wasn't given that kind of capacity, right? And that's why we're always left with the questions of, you know, why do bad things happen to good people and how could God do this? And what about the tragedies? We can't know. Our brains are incapable of knowing. And, you know, even though this is not really our topic, the point is, is that's what Habakkuk meant when he said, 
bottom line, the entire Torah and everything that we do has to be based on emuna, on acceptance, ultimately. Of course, we use our minds to understand as much as we can. But that's one area that we will never be able to understand until we're in the next world, you know, or we're God ourselves. Um, but that, that's, the, that's the idea of Amuna. But going back to Micha, because that's what we're going to focus on in this class, right? Micha basically gave us three power principles. Mishpat, be honest, follow the rules. Chesed, which is extend yourself, do for others. Maybe even go beyond the rules when it comes to helping other people. Go beyond the tit for tat. Go beyond what's expected of you. And then finally, sniut is the third principle. These are the three pillars that the Torah stands on, according to Micha. Walk modestly with Hashem. And again, in both places, both in Mishle, where we're told that wisdom is acquired by those who are private, by the tznu'im, and here, where the Torah is telling us that, you know, if we divide the Torah into three parts, Sni'ut is one of those, is one third of the Torah. And it's calling to, it's telling us we need to walk modestly. So again, dress is just one aspect. Dress is actually just a, um, it's a, um, not a metaphor, but it was, dress is an expression. The way we dress is an expression of the principles of modesty. But dress alone is sorrowfully, you know, I, I mean, this is the way it is. We have to teach our daughters and our sons, right? But our daughters specifically how to dress from a very young age. And of course, we're not going to give them a whole sheer that's way above their heads on why it's important to dress this way. We can only understand these things as we get older. We want to inculcate the practices. You know, I remember once when I was a Robinson in Binghamton, there was a, a congregant. We had a lot of congregants who were professors at the university. And some of them were from, but they had a lot of very crum ideas about Yiddishkeit. Crum meaning they were not really, you know, I don't know, how do you say it? They might have been very book learned, but they weren't necessarily doing much of the practices. And I remember once uh, one little girl was visiting my daughter. They were very close friends. And the father had come to the door, the professor of Cornell and here and there. And, um, and, and uh, you know, as the girls, the girls had just eaten something or they were about to eat something. And I said, don't forget, you know, so let's say your bracha together. So he kind of said to me in disdain, he said, why would you teach your daughter to say brachas at such a young age? She doesn't even know what she's doing. Now, I mean, that alone I could have argued with, but his whole idea was, you know, you have to wait until you're intellectually, you know, able to understand all the deeper concepts, etc., and then... You know, then from a place of intelligence and intellectual honesty, you could say the bracha. But of course, that's not the way we do things. You know, we know that when a child is a tabula rasa, when they're fresh, when there's nothing written on their paper, this is the time that we start inculcating and teaching them practices. And of course, we hope that as they grow older, they'll go and find out and deepen their mitzvah observance. So it's the same with dress. And that's why often the idea of sniut becomes like a negative type of a thing, because unless you do the work afterwards, and this is one of Dina Schoonmaker's bones of contention that she wishes that it was more of a topic afterwards in the way that we're going to learn it. Okay, so what is the definition of sniut? <clears throat> so according to Rav Chaim Friedlander, the Sifsei Chaim, he says, Sneot is all about being internal. It's about doing things for spiritual reasons without mixing in your ego and your biases and your physicality into what you are doing. 
Okay, I'll say that again for those of you who are writing notes. It's about being internal, although we're going to go over this idea again and again. A lack of smia, therefore, means a behavior that is very external, physical, material, that's totally motivated by your ego. And it's the, it, 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 it's the externality in the things that you do. So what sneut means basically bottom line is it means doing things for Hashem and weeding out ulterior motives. And what this does is this builds depth into our personality. It develops what we call our peniniut, our internal life. Right, Kol Kuda Bat Melech Panimus, right? The glory of the king's daughter is inside. Now, interesting, you might not know this, but Rabbi Meisman says in his book, Who is the king's daughter? Who is this verse that David Amelech wrote in Tehillim referring to? He's talking about Moshe, a man. Okay. Moshe is called the daughter of the king. And the king in this instance is referring to the Torah, that he mastered the Torah, he gave over the Torah. But he's called a daughter because all of his encounters with God were done in private. God speaks to Moses, it's always private. And because he developed this very female, natural, that we're given somewhat naturally, this internality, this panemius, that we're all meant to develop. And sneot is a pathway to develop ourselves on the in the inside and in the internal world, right? We live in an external world. We ourselves are physical bodies. We are pulled in all kinds of directions towards the material, which is, you know, natural. We have to survive. We have to live our lives. We have to take care of our bodies and ourselves. But we often sacrifice the internality the internal world that we are supposed to develop. I always like to say this, you know, that, um, of course, and this is a whole different topic, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, but, you know, with the feminist movement and women, of course, becoming much more out there and externalized and in the workplace, etc., they've had to sacrifice that internality to some degree. I mean, to a large degree in many ways. Um, another thing that I wanted to share, and I guess I'll share it now, is years ago, actually, she wrote this book in 1999, for those of you who are interested. I heard rumors that she actually lives in Toronto, though she is American. Her name is Wendy Shallot. And Wendy Shallot wrote a book called A Return to Modesty, Discovering the Lost Virtue. And she wrote it as a, uh, as a, um, thesis in university at Williams College. She was a philosophy major. And the entire book is all about modesty and the return to modesty. And she was not a religious woman at the time, but this was part of her journey back to Judaism. And basically she, you know, you can Google it and see what she writes, but just to give you a little sense, she says, Shalit wants women to be women again. She sees the deep perversity of the androgyny project of the past 30 years that demands manhood of women and a diminution of manhood among men, but, but, but refuses to tolerate womanhood in women. Anyway, it goes on about, you know, sexually how the young people have been affected by the revolution that happened with women. Um, she says, Shalit's solution is modesty, the much aligned virtue that was ditched years ago, along with corsets and girdles. Um, her, her extensive reach, research is amply supported by evidence drawn from sources as diverse as last year's glamour and last millennium's Talmud. What she finds is not stuffy puritanism that wants to spoil everybody's good fun, but in fact, just the opposite. A subtle, exciting, sexy social arrangement in which men are men, women are women, and both get the maximal benefit from it. 
anyway, it's very interesting because she writes about it in terms of the whole generation that we're living in with hooking up and men no longer having to prove themselves and women throwing themselves at men and, you know, this supposed control that women were supposed to get over their bodies, etc. after the feminist movement. But really what I wanted to say is, you know, women have gone out into the world and they've sacrificed their internality. And, you know, I often think about my Bubby or I'm sure her mother, right, who never really went out into the world as a man you know, stripped of her femininity um, uh, in, in certain careers where you kind of have to have to become stripped of your femininity. Um, but, you know, in the home, raising children, doing whatever they did to help make a Parnassa, which many of them were businesswomen, et cetera, um, but obviously in a different way, they didn't sacrifice that internality right? They were so much more developed internally than we are today. They didn't need everybody telling them, well, mom, you're great. I think you need a raise. You know, I think we're all going to give you a raise. You know, you go to work, you get a raise. Everybody tells you how smart you are at home. Let's face it. Nobody's going to do that for you. Nobody, you know, says, well, hey, mom, nice floor you washed today for the 10th time. You know, I mean, you really have to have developed a lot of good internality to be able to put up with being a homemaker, to be able to put up with raising children and not, you know, becoming a shmata and becoming, you know, uh, completely, you know, when everybody leaves the nest, who am I? What am I? I don't know who I am anymore. You really have to have developed a lot of, you know, good sense of self or what I would call panemius, the internality of yourself. And that's something that we've lost because we live in a world today where we know that the material and the physical has taken over for good and for bad, right? We all talk about it. we're a push button society or throw away society. We just want things fast and easy. And that's caused, forget about the woman's movement, which is a whole nother topic, women to kind of lose that additional gift that we have of that internality that was meant to be developed more and more and more and you know something that we could excel in okay all right so um going back to the idea that we're bringing out here is sneot means i have to be in a relationship with a sham even when there's people around me even when i'm busy in the material world um even when there's people around me, I'm thinking about what Hashem would want me to be doing, saying, thinking, etc. And it's not just that, it's that I'm aware of my biases. I'm aware of how others affect me. And I'm trying to stay focused on what does Hashem want from me right now. I always say that spiritual growth is sort of asking oneself, you know, is this going to bring me closer to Hashem? what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to send, right, on social media? Or is this going to distance me from Hashem? And of course, we all want kirvas elokim. We want closeness to Hashem because that is truly the greatest pleasure available to man in this world with all the pleasures that our bodies run after. And even the spiritual pleasures, which of course, you know, they're both needed in moderation, as my buddy would say, right? They're both needed, not the spiritual ones in moderation, but even there sometimes we'll find out that being show-offy, even in your spiritual ways, is a lack of sneers, right? You want to look like the holiest, most pious person in the room, and you want everybody to watch you while you're, you know, crying and dovening and making a fuss, whatever it is. That's also a lack of sneers showing off your spirituality that's also supposed to be hidden also internal of course we're supposed to do the practices but not have to be in the limelight while we're doing it okay i'm kind of skipping ahead <clears throat> so what dina schoonmaker says is if we're focused on a shem and but we listen in to our own self-talk we'll see that, you know, very often our self-talk is stuff like, is this making a good impression? What do people think of me? 
what's in it for me if I do this mitzvah? You know, do I look really great? Is everybody looking at me? And sneeze basically means forget about me. It's not all about me. And when we move and shift to a place like that, and certainly sneeze and humility are connected, okay? It affects how I do mitzvot and it affects why I do what I do. It will also affect how we learn and internalize ideas. Because when we have biases and our ego gets in the way, you know, we're able to filter things that we don't want to hear. That we won't let inside of us. So it affects the way I present myself and what kind of impression I'm trying to make on people. So how much sneetwood a person has, how much getting rid of the ego, forgetting about themselves, right? And thinking, well, what does Hashem want? What that does, it, it affects the way I use the gifts that Hashem gave me, right? Because if I see these gifts as part of my ego and my image, then that's very material and physical. It just naturally feeds into the whole, what are they thinking of me? What will this do for me? How will my image be uh, affected by what I do, etc. okay? But if a person sees their gifts, everything that they have, their beauty, their money, their success, as a way that builds spirituality, then these gifts can be used for spiritual growth. So we basically have a choice with the gifts that Hashem gives us. We can either use them to further our own ego, which of course is a constant struggle, or we can recognize that these gifts that Hashem gave us are there for us to use to develop ourselves spiritually and bring ourselves closer to Hashem, right? Develop this Devekas with Hashem. Now, sneas, of course, includes covering my body, okay? We're not going to pretend that that is not part of sneas, okay? But, but really, the covering of the body is just a manifestation of what sneas is. And here's another definition for you. Sneas is about covering my ego. Covering my ego. Again, when we cover our bodies, it's just another manifestation of this desire and this difficult work, it's an aid to cover up our ego. So Rabbi Uri Weisblum, who's a rabbi in Israel, I think of the yeshiva in Haifa, he says that every lower aspect of our personality has a sublimated place where we can put it into a higher form. So every aspect of our personality can be used either to further our material, physical, ego type of lifestyle, or it's really what it's real, what all those things are really meant to be used for is to build our connection with God. So in other words, human beings were created very image conscious. I don't think animals worry about, you know, what they're wearing today and, you know, what uh, giraffe, their neighbor giraffe thinks about, you know, how they look or that they're getting older or their neck isn't quite as young as it used to be, right? I don't think that's something that animals have to worry about. But people were created to be very image conscious. And some of us more than others right? Some people are very and extremely image conscious, and other people don't care that much. And this, again, is Homer, okay? Going back to our Musser principles, this is the way you are created, right? Whether you think everybody's looking at you, or you're totally embarrassed, or no, don't say that, mom, you're embarrassing me, whatever it is, right? I was with my grandson the other day, it's like, you know, Bobby, don't do that, okay? Bobby. Okay. Anyway, um, but the point is, is why did Hashem put this desire in us to impress other people or think even about what people think of me? 
And the answer is, according to Rabbi Weisblum, that we're supposed to direct this towards what does Hashem think of me? What does he think of me? I mean, after all, isn't that what really matters? You know, I put on all this ego and image and masks for everybody else. Because <clears throat> I'm worried about what she thinks and what he thinks and what they're going to say and blah, 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 blah. And I neglect to notice that the only relationship that really ultimately matters is what do you think of me, Hashem? Right? So it's not about what impression I'm making on other people. It's about what impression am I making on Hashem? And when we go through life this way, and when we think in this way, which is really the Jewish way to think, right? I always say Jews are God obsessed. Okay. If you wake up every morning from Moda Ani to saying a bracha, when you come out of the bathroom, every time you need to use it to all the other brachas that you have to say throughout your day with food and drink, and you're just totally constantly God obsessed, right? You're constantly connecting to God all day long in your thoughts and your actions and a person can really say, okay, what am I doing next? How does this bring me closer to Hashem? I'm writing out a check for tzedakah. I'm going to do a favor for my friend. I'm all of these things. When we understand that these are all ways of using our talents, our gifts, our resources for others around us are all pathways to say to Hashem, okay, I'm, it's all about building connection to you. It's all about what you think of me, and that's all that matters. And we know in life, right, sometimes people misunderstand us, there's a miscommunication, and it really helps a lot when you say, listen, I know they didn't understand my intentions or whatever, it got all bogged up, but Hashem, you know, you know what my intentions were. You know, there's some solace in that if we create that connection. And you're the only one I really have to impress, Hashem. You're the only one that really matters. I really care only about what you think. Now, obviously, you know, we have to worry about others too, and this is important. But when we live our lives like, like this, this is what builds depth. This is what builds internality. Okay, in benching, and this is the other side of right, in benching, in the Birkat Hamazon, we say, Benim Sachin, Tov, Right? Which basically we're asking Hashem that he should find that we should have chain, right? Which is grace. It's a trailer is grace, but it really means other people liking us. We should find, you know, we should have chain. We should have a good seichel using it properly. And it should be between God and between others. That God, you should grant us that, you know, we're likable that you like us and that other people like us. Because there's an idea, when other people like you, it's a sign that Hashem likes you, right? When they sincere, sincerely like you. Um, and and um, so this, this, this Pasuk in, in the Birkat HaMazam is saying, you know, I want to make a nice impression on people too, you know, that we don't want to just show up like a zhlub and say, who cares what people think, right? We don't want to have an attitude of, I don't care what they think. I only care what Hashem thinks. You know, I can do whatever, whatever. Obviously, you understand what I mean by that. But the point is, you have a, you have a balance. And all of it is basically being directed towards Hashem anyway. You want to make a nice impression on people. But you have to care about what Hashem thinks more than anything else. And that's the key. Back to that point again. That it's what Hashem thinks that's the bottom line. It's not, you know, people are pulling me this way. People are pulling me that way. Everybody does this. I've always done that. You know, and sometimes it's hard because sometimes we have to reevaluate some of our friendships. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, who do we choose as friends? Are they helping us? Or are they hurting us in terms of keeping us focused on the wrong things and very image conscious or ego uh, driven? And yet, you know, again, we're all a co compilation of, of these urges constantly. 
doesn't matter where you are on the ladder. You know, some people more grossly, more obviously, and others more refined, in a more refined place, but they're still working on this. There's no, you know, there's no not working on it till 120. Okay, so you want to make a nice impression on people. Okay, now we're going to go to the Gemara in Sukkah, Memtes. And there it talks about a Levaya and a wedding. And it's talking about when we're taking a nifter, somebody who died to a, to a funeral, and a kala to a wedding. And the reason that the Gemara brings this down and it's connected to the idea of smi'ut, of modesty, is because weddings and funerals are very public events, right? At a wedding, we're there to make the kala happy. That's the point of a guest. I love it. I love the idea. You know, that's the point of being invited to a wedding. You're not there to say, what are they going to feed us? Where am I sitting? Or, you know, do I like the hall? Do the, do the flowers? Look? No, really, according to Judaism, you are there. You've got a responsibility. They invited you to make them happy, not for them to make you happy. I remember one of my uh, students once said she went to a firm wedding for the first time. And she couldn't understand why everybody was walking around saying mazel tov to each other. You know, she said at secular Jewish weddings, you just go and say mazel tov to the, you know, to the family and to the kala, right? You don't say it to everybody in the room. And she realized it's so lovely how everybody's simcha is each other's simcha. And like, you, you could say mazel tov to everybody, right? So again, it's that idea we're all here to bring joy to the kala, to the chasen, right? But what the Gemara is telling us is when we go to these places, Hashem is telling us it's here that you have to really guard yourself with smi'ut, to be internal and not external. So, you know, Dina Schoomaker talks about herself, that, you know, it's really a good comedy routine. And of course, I'm describing a, an Orthodox traditional wedding for those of you who've ever been to one or normally go to those. You know, she says, you know, you go to a wedding and the self-talk begins as soon as you enter the room. It's like, am I on time? Am I late? Is everybody noticing that I'm late? That I'm, you know, I didn't get there on time. Is there a place to sit? Am I, could I go speak to the color? Is it too late? Is the line, you know, I should have left earlier. I'm so embarrassed. I, I can't believe I am here so late. Then you start noticing how everybody's dressed, she says. The next thing is, oh my gosh, am I overdressed? I think I'm underdressed. Everybody's wearing black and I'm wearing purple. You know, uh, I like her shaitel better. I wonder where she got her shaitel. My shaitel's a piece of junk already. I really need a new shaitel. You know, I got to tell my husband I need a new shaitel. And blah, 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 blah. And she said, this is what's happening in your head as you're going to the wedding where you're supposed to be with Sameach, Hassan and Kala, right? <laughs> and then she said, if you know about Jewish weddings, the dancing begins, right? And the women make a circle and the Kala's inside the circle. And she starts pulling in different people to dance with. So she says, then the, you know, self-talk starts again. Is she going to call me in? Hey, why is she calling her in ahead of me? You know, I've been her friend for 30 years and she only just met her. And, you know, I'm her neighbor and, and what's going on here? And, 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 <clears throat> And then you start worrying about your dancing. Is my dancing clumsy? You know, should I push myself into the middle of the circle? When am I going to get called in, etc.? Okay, you know, who am I talking to right now? Is it somebody important? Is it somebody that, you know, is prestigious, that has status? Does everybody see that I'm talking to them, that they're my friend? Does everybody notice how smart my answers are and my responses are and how beautifully I'm dressed and blah, 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 right? So wait, how could they put me at this table? I can't believe I'm sitting with these people. I don't understand this. What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. So she says that, you know, obviously the self-talk is exaggerated to show that basically what's going on is it's me, me, me in capital letters, right? Me, me, me. Everything is about me, okay? Am I late? Am I dressed properly? Why am I at the table? And I'm very aware of myself and the impression that I'm making. And the Gemara is saying that when you're at a wedding, you should be thinking about Hashem. It's not all about you. You came to do a mitzvah, right? To make the kala happy. Think about the kala and think about Hashem. Because all of your self-talk doesn't matter. 
And so the Gemara is saying, if this is the way it's supposed to be in public, Hashem is telling us that we need to walk modestly. Then of, cor- then of course, in private, where it's so much easier, we have to be thinking about Hashem. So how can you walk modestly with Hashem? Where and when? So the Gemara is giving these two examples of very public events. And, he's, and it's saying, this is where you have to walk modestly with Hashem. What does Sneas mean? Sneas means taking the limelight away from you and asking instead, what am I supposed to accomplish? But what happens instead is the narcissistic side of, of a person really comes out. And we see ourselves as the center. You know, she gives an example of, let's say, you know, your little granddaughter or your daughter, right? She's, uh, you know, you're at a wedding or something and she's got a little flower on her dress and the flower gets ripped off and the flower falls off and she's totally hyped up, you know, oh no, the flower fell off, everybody's noticing, everybody's going to look, you know, everybody, this is terrible. And of course you'd say to her, listen, Babala, you know, nobody care, nobody's noticing, you look beautiful, it's fine. And, you know, this could be a six-year-old little girl, but she says, the truth is, is we're all like that. You know, even when we grow up, we think, you know, everybody's looking, everybody saw the run in my stocking, right? Everybody noticed that my dress is a little bit too tight, whatever it is. And it's always the busyness with our own self-talk. And she says, ironically, this is true at a Levaya as well. Now, of course, it's definitely more toned down at a Levaya and at a Shiva house, let's hope, okay? But again, you could still be asking, did I come late? Am I overdressed? They're wearing black, I'm wearing purple. Should I say something to the family? Should I wait? You know, you're less likely to be in the self-talk mode than at a, at a wedding. But the Gemara is basically saying, again, when you do a public mitzvah, really remember you're walking alone with Hashem. Nobody else is really focused on you. Your job is to go and do the mitzvah. So again, Sneas only appears twice in the Torah, but the rabbis and the Gemara, but, but in terms of Hazal, of our sages, and what they have to say about it, and in terms of the Gemara, it appears many, many times in different scenarios. Okay, I just want to tell you one more story before we end. So again, what is the definition or what is one of the definitions of Sni'ut? It's weeding out my ulterior motives. It's doing things l'shem shamayim. What do we mean by the words l'shem shamayim? For the sake of heaven. We have the opposite term, lo l'shem shamayim. Not for the sake of heaven. It might look externally like we're doing it for the sake of heaven, but really what's driving us is our own egos. So what we're trying to do when we're working on internality and panemias is to not let my ego get in the way. And by doing this, that's what builds our internality, right? Our bubbies did what they did. They baked their cakes and they did what they did without needing a pause without needing everybody to tell them how great they are, or give them a raise, or, you know, move them up the ladder of success. They had such a rich internal life that they didn't need all those external accolades to keep them going. Now, I'm not saying the job of others isn't to appreciate and be grateful, and hopefully they were surrounded by people like that. But bottom line, we know, if we go back to our boobies, You know, they had richer inner lives in a world that was less complicated, more simple, and where women were women and men were men. Okay, so let me just tell you a last story before we end. So Dina Schoomaker says that she was once giving over this class to a group of elderly women in their 80s. And it was a mixed group of religious women and non-religious women in Jerusalem. And she said, after she finished, one of the non-religious women came over to her and said, um, wow, it's really interesting what the rabbi said in the Gemara about going to a wedding and a funeral. She said, you know, when I was a little kid, I had an aunt that I really disliked 
And I didn't know why I didn't like her. And one day my father said to me, you know why you don't like Aunt Bertha? Because Aunt Bertha thinks she's the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. You've probably heard that expression, right? Anyway, this non-religious woman was shocked that this was basically what the rabbis and the Gemara were saying, right? That you're not the bride and you're not the corpse. And what are you doing going and being so self-obsessed and busy with your self-talk and your ego? You're going there to do the mitzvah, walk with Hashem modestly, meaning get yourself out of that place of ego. So, and remember, and this is crucial, that you're always in the limelight and you're always at the center with Hashem. He's always looking at you. He always sees you, right? Like Adrian Gold says, your picture's on his fridge, okay? He's got your picture on his fridge. So when it comes to Hashem, you are the center, even if nobody else is noticing you. And when you walk with Hashem, you realize I'm in the limelight. Spotlight's on me. It's never not on me. You know, Hashem is always watching and I'm always connected and he loves me. and I'm his kid. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters is what he thinks of me. So what the Gemara is telling us is you're always the center with Hashem. And remember your place when you're in a public place, that you are not the center. So this is our homework, ladies. Because we like to give homework in a Musterbad, because that's one of the ways that we take our learning and our lessons with us through the week. So asking ourselves, where am I very image conscious? You know, where, when I'm with which people, when I'm in a certain place, where does that self-talk kind of kick itself up to a whole new decibel, right? And where can I sublimate that awareness that asks, what are other people thinking of me? And instead ask myself, what is Hashem thinking of me? And by the way, that's what we mean when we have the expression, when you all know the Pasuk, which very often is found in shuls, Shivisi Hashem Kenegedi Tamid, which basically means put Hashem in front of you, or Hashem is always in front of me. Because the truth is, is that's who really cares, and that's who it really matters to ultimately. Who am I trying to impress? I should be trying to impress Hashem. Okay, I hope that you found that enlightening. Hope you enjoyed this class. To sponsor a future class or for a complimentary and completely confidential coaching session with me as I support you in reaching your goals and actualizing your true potential, please email me at DeborahVale at yahoo.ca. That's Deborah, D E V O R A H, Vale, V A L E, at yahoo.ca.